Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, May 1st, year of our Lord, 2023. And this is episode uh, number 87. There's been a little mix-up with the episodes. I kind of, I lost count, and then I think I miscounted. Um, or misidentified on on a previous one or two previous episodes ago. Um, So I'm not sure if this is 87, but we're going to call it 87 and then just go from there. Um, It's a difficult thing to talk about because I don't know um what's acceptable to say like i I don't know at what point it becomes borderline uh blasphemous or disrespectful to the lord um it's it's just a, a sinful behavior that i have that um I just want I want to be cautious because I feel like if I talk about it too much or without the proper amount of respect, um, it's just really bad. And and just to cut to the chase, what I'm talking about is um, I find myself a complainer, uh, a grumbler against God, and that's that's um, a scary thing to say because. We know that that's something the Lord disapproves of. It it shows a lack of trust. It shows um, a lack of understanding. You know, the Jews, when they were in the desert, were chastised severely by the Lord for complaining and grumbling. And it's just, it's very disrespectful. And it, it's, it shows, it, it really is the, the opposite of faith, the opposite of trust. And so it's it's concerning that I do it so frequently. And it has a lot to do with uh, my emphasis on sovereignty and just really um, being consumed by the providence of God. Like it's it's one of the most paramount doctrines for me is, is the, the sovereignty of God. It's, it's what I trust in. It's what I rest in is that God is in control of all things and he knows what he's doing. So when you complain and grumble, you're showing the opposite of that. You're saying, you know, I I don't trust you. Or in my case, it's not that I don't trust it's, well, maybe it is a lack of trust. I don't know. It's, I always think of it as I don't like what the Lord is doing. And um, it's kind of a woe is me type attitude. It's, you know, I, I, I find myself, when I look at my life and I look at all the, the problems I have or the, the different situations that I'm going through, with the understanding that I've done it to myself, that, you know, my, the holes I'm, I'm in, the problems I have, the sins I struggle with are because of my own personal decisions. Because I decided to do certain things, therefore I'm reaping the consequences of that. 
but um, I still find myself complaining against God, saying, you know, well, you could have planned things differently for me. And see, that that's... It's a terrible thing to say. It's board, again, it's borderline blasphemous because it, it's it's complaining against the providential hand of God and saying, "I don't like what you've done for my life. I don't like I don't like where I'm at. I don't like I don't like um, I I don't know how to say it. It's it's. It's got me thinking about Job a lot. I was trying to figure out Job. Like, Job started out okay. He he started out not accusing God. Um, but by the end of his trials, it's it's almost like he was accusing God. He was complaining against God. You know, it would have been better if I would have never been born, so on and so forth. And so I was trying to think, like, what was the point of Job? Like, why why did Job go through all that stuff? Because at the end, God just basically says, um, who are you to question me? You know, uh, were you there when I did X, Y, and Z? Basically saying, like, I know what I'm doing. So who are you to question that? And that's a hard lesson because it's like, if you if you're going through hardships... Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't want to go too far. It's 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 where my mind's been at a lot lately. I've been just kind of down. I, I'm feeling a lot of regret. Um a lot of sorrow, a lot of woe is me, a lot of looking to the future and, and not really seeing anything getting better, not seeing a way out. Because I lack temperance, because I lack self-control, um, because historically in my life I haven't seen a lot of victory over certain things, so I don't really have any expectation that anything's going to change. I'm going to keep making stupid decisions. I'm going to keep doing bad things because I don't have self-control. And like... My whole thing is, like, one of my brothers is trying to say, well, you know, you have the ability to to make better choices. And I was trying to explain, like, no, you really don't. Because you only do what your nature um, is planned to do. Like, we make choice. Yes, we make choices. But your choices are predicated. They're, they're, they're. Your choices branch off of your desires. E even if it's subconscious, in every decision, e even something small, you know, choose A or B. The choice is not just some autonomous, uh, self-generated, out-of-nowhere thing. It, it springs forth from desire. You desire one more than the other. And that's why you choose it. And like I say, even if that's subconscious, um, something in you desires A more than B. And desires are not something that you can just create. 
You can't just up and say, oh, I'm going to desire this more. Desires are not self-driven. They're not autonomous. They don't come from self. Um, an external force has to create desire. And my understanding of the human condition and salvation is that um, our natural disposition because of Adam, because of our fall, we naturally desire what is wrong all the time. We will always and only desire evil. And it's only the influence of God in our lives giving us good desires that causes us to do good. He, he has to actively put the desire. You, you naturally will not desire good. You just won't because we're fallen. We're evil. You will never desire ultimate good. Like people might think, well, A and B, I see good, and I, you know, there's there A is a good thing, and and I chose that. But when you look at what like reality of holiness, what really is good, we cannot, you know, the natural man cannot do it. It's not in us to do good. Uh, every supposedly good thing we do is like a filthy rag. It's it's there's a selfish, sinful motive at the root of it. There, there's evil in it. Every decision, we will only and continually do evil in some way, shape, or form. You, even if it's you know something imperceptible, there's some sort of selfish, evil desire in it. That that is what the human condition is because of the fall. And so the only way to do good, the only way to do right, is if God intervenes and prevents us from doing what we naturally desire. And, and grants us in this mysterious way that's imperceptible to us, all of a sudden you just have a desire um, to do what's right. You have a desire to do what's good. That desire is put in you. Um, and it's, it's, it has to be done in abundance. It has to, the desire has to outweigh your natural desire. And so for me to do what is right, for, for me to do what is good, to do what is wholesome, God has to give that desire. He has to grant it. Otherwise, I will do what is wrong. Uh, that That's, again, my natural disposition. Um, and that's, again, so it's, it's hard to balance that with then seeing the consequences of doing wrong. So you do wrong and something bad happens. And then there's a part of me that wants to complain against God and say, you could have stopped me. You could have given me a desire to do what is right. So I wouldn't have made that decision. And I under, the, the, the hard thing is that we have to understand his, uh, historical providence. And what I mean by that is, is overarching, all-encompassing all providence. Like, yes... Everything I do is working towards an ultimate good. God is glorified. So even, even our bad decisions in the end are completing a grand picture. There's a, there's a glorious overarching picture. God, God is doing something sovereign. I was trying to think of like biblical examples, but you, you think of like David and Bathsheba. You know, he, he murdered Bathsheba's husband Uriah and took to himself Bathsheba. He so David did evil there. He he chose evil. 
which again is his natural disposition. He naturally desired this woman, and uh, the only way he would have been prevented is if God stepped in and prevented him. But because God had a bigger purpose, God allowed. Uh, God, you know, it, it's so God, God is not the author of evil. We are. Um, we will only do evil, uh, but but God allows it for purposes. He allowed David to do that because there's a bigger purpose. Be, the, him getting with Bathsheba created the bloodline that Jesus Christ came from. So so the historical overarching providence, like that act had to occur. It had to be allowed so that this greater good could come from it. But on a microscopic level, looking at just David, David suffered the consequences of that. Like his his evil decision led to the death of his son, and um, you know, and great sorrow. You know, he wrote the some of the Psalms when he was in that great sorrow, and he he had to be rebuked by the prophet who was it Nathan, and and so there was a period there where where David was just in a in a very bad state, a very um, downcast, woe is me type state. And it was because of his decisions. But, see, and that's, that's the tricky part. You have to balance it. It's like, okay, I made a bad decision. And now I have to suffer the consequences of it. Because we reap what we sow. That, that's just the way it is. There's a grander hope that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That in the grand scheme, the historical scheme, good will come of this. But in the meantime, I have to suffer. And so that creates this, this schism in my heart that says, well, Lord, couldn't there have been a better way? You know, why does this have to be my lot? Like, couldn't you achieve these grander um, purposes without me having to make these bad decisions and, and suffer the consequences? And perhaps, I think, I think that was probably the point of Job, was that the Lord had to show Job, I know what I'm doing, trust me. But that's, it's, it's painful, you know, because it's like, I don't want a lot of these things that are in my life. I don't want the consequences of them. I don't I don't want to be, you know, I start getting in this woe is me and I start thinking, you know, here I am 41 years old and I have nothing. I've I've got nothing. You know, that's that's the woe is me attitude. Go I've I've got no uh I, I have no family, I have no spouse, I have no career, I have no ministry, I have um I have no money, I have no possessions, you know, I've I've got nothing. It's and and so I start thinking like and I realize all of these things are because of bad decisions I've made. And it's frustrating because it's like, well, Lord, you could give me desires to so that when I'm in these situations, I make better decisions. You know, instead of um given me over, or not given me over, but allowing me um, to do what my natural disposition wants to do, 
there could have been greater grace given so that I could have chosen differently. And I understand, but then that would change the the history of, of the world or, you know, the my small section of the world. It would, it, there's a butterfly effect, you know, like my decisions are affecting the future and there's a, there's a grander plan in place that things had to happen this way. But it's just frustrating because a lot of times I start, when I get into this woe is me type thing, I start thinking, you know, I've got nothing, you know, can, can't I have something? Can I have one good thing? Like, why, why do I got to have, um, this poor, lonely life of solitude, you know, um, and so I'm, I'm trying to balance the overarching historical perspective but when you're in the midst of the suffering, it's like, man, I just don't like this. You know, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the lot that I've been given. I'm unhappy. And that I think that's where Job was at the end there where he was complaining and God had to come to him and rebuke him. And it's I, I don't know what the key is. I know the Lord has a bigger, better plan. But to get to that bigger, better plan, do I have to just go through the rest of my life? Like, my life's almost over now, you know? 41. There's not much left. There's, you know, and I've I've got nothing, and I don't see any hope on the horizon. You know? I, I don't see anything good coming. I just see more of the same. Because I know I'm going to keep making bad decisions. I know I don't have the self-control. I don't have the temperance. I don't have the ability. And it, it doesn't seem to be coming to, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm. Like you say, I don't even know if this is wise to put into recording because it is, it, it's me vocalizing a complaint against God, and that's wrong. It's sinful. It's, I ought to be content in my lot. I ought to be able to say, well, God knows what he's doing. I got to trust him. You know, even if that means uh, the rest of my life is lived in in shambles, you know, I should be able to find peace and contentment and joy in salvation and um, the heavenly gifts, you know, I, I ought to be able to focus on those, but sometimes it's hard to do when you, when you just see your lack and yeah, I, I, I hope this made sense here. What I'm, what I'm trying to say, it's, it's trying to balance sovereignty with not responsibility, because because that aspect doesn't. Yes, we are responsible for what we do. We are, um, and God is sovereign, and those two things don't contradict to me. They they run parallel. Um, so I've I've never had an issue with that. A lot of people s seem to think that 
<clears throat> our accountability and responsibility is somehow uh, a contradiction to God being sovereign over all things. And it's not. They're, they're two uh, different things that are equally true. You know, there, there's no contradiction. I, I, and I've never had a problem with it. So it's, it's, not, it's not responsibility that's bothering me. It's um, just having a hard time finding hope in the providence. And not eternal hope, because that that is solidified. Eternal hope is, is solidified. We're, we're I'm born again. I'm going to heaven when I die. It's hope in the current life. Like Lord, will I have any happiness in this life? Not joy, because joy is different. There is an internal joy uh, that continues on even in the midst of my complaining in in the midst of sin in the midst midst of consequences there's an internal joy that is permanent like <clears throat> rejoicing in the lord always that part's there but there's a there's there's a, a lack of happiness or contentment and looking at that and just going lord do do i get anything in this world is it just Hardship, external physical hardship, not internal, eternal hardship. Like, like I say, the the inner man is at peace. The inner man is content, is settled, is knows that eternally everything's okay, you know. But the external is saying like like. I, I don't know, maybe it's because you just look at other people's lives and, and that makes you very discontent. Like I look at everybody, it seems like everybody else has something. You know, they, they're focused on a career, they got a good job, they've got family that they're focused on, or they've got um, a spouse, or they've got um, financial security and, and comfort there. Looking at that and going, okay, well, they've got some semblance of happy. They at least have one thing that they can grab onto and, and say, well, here's some happiness, external happiness. And it's like, I start looking at that and I start just, that that's what makes me sorrowful because I look and I go, well, I've got nothing, you know? What what do, what do I get? Why, why do I got to have nothing, you know? And maybe I'm just not, I'm sure I'm not seeing things clearly. It's, it's, you know, I'm looking at other people's lives and, and thinking they have A, B, C, a D. I've got nothing. But maybe, you know, somebody else looks at me and goes, well, he's got F, G, H, and I, you know, and, and they've got nothing. And I'm just missing. It's just the, the big things that people seem to be, happy with I lack and it's like man I, I want I would like to have something in my life you know I would like to have something and I don't know <clears throat> I hope I don't I there is a sense of dishonor in this I hope I didn't go too far um I don't want to dishonor God and 
complaining against him is is foolish. I recognize that. I'm just I'm trying to get this off my chest. And maybe it's just a stage that I'm in, just a state of this, you know, like I say, this woe is me, everything sucks. Why can't I have something, you know? Anything. I'll I'll take anything. Give give me something in this life that I can call my own, you know, give me give me something. And just looking around and going, well, I don't, I don't have it. I, I got nothing. I've been reading uh, John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire. And then um, in our daily Bible verse in, in our, in my small group, we came across the verse in Ephesians what is it, chapter 4, 3 or 4, where it talks about um, uh, prophets and, well, what the heck does it say? Let me, <laughs> instead of stumbling around here trying to find it, let me look at it here. It was um, Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So the conversation came up again about... Um, if God gives gifts, are the how are like wouldn't we have to say that prophets and apostles are for today? Like, where's the justification for saying they've ended? And I've discussed this on previous uh, podcasts. Um, specifically, we did one on cessationism versus continuationism, and basically saying I probably lean towards cessationism. Like if it's on a spectrum, cessationism on one side, continuationism on the other, 50% 50 in the middle, I'm 80% towards cessationism. The only thing that prevents me from going all out um, is that I, I didn't understand fully what they mean by cease. Like are they saying, like because if they're saying nobody ever gets healed anymore, like I, I would have to disagree with that. I, I think there probably are healings. I, I haven't seen one, but it doesn't. Uh, I don't doubt that God still heals. You hear testimonies of people who like get diagnosed with cancer, and then that you know they turn to prayer and fasting or whatnot, and, and when they go back to the doctor, the cancer's gone without an explanation. In my opinion, that's uh, miraculous healing. You know, so I think I think sensationists say that. The office of prophet or the office of apostle, the office of healer, if there ever was such a thing. I don't know if there was, was there ever a specific office of healing? I don't think that's true. I think just some people God chose to use at certain times for healing, like Peter and Paul or whatever, you know, they weren't always healing, but on occasion the Lord would work through them to heal. And I, I think that. I wouldn't doubt that that still happens, that, that God still works through people on occasion to heal somebody. Um, I, but I do agree that the office of prophet and the office of apostle has ceased. Um, the reason being is that the apostles um, were supposed to lay the foundation of the church. And there were specific requirements given, like when Judas left um, and committed suicide because he betrayed Jesus the remaining apostles had to appoint somebody an apostle and the requirements were that they had to be eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus from the beginning to the end. 
And so if that's the requirement for an apostle, you know, nobody since John died in, in 90 or 180 or whatever it was, nobody since then qualifies for that office. Plus, the foundation of the church has been laid. Um, being, if the foundation of the church is, is the scriptures, you know, if we believe that the scriptures are alone, alone are our authority, which we do, um, the scriptures were, were completed, you know, with the apostles. They, they were the ones appointed to write the scriptures. They completed it. So the foundation of the church is laid. Uh, no other foundation needs to be laid. It's, it's, we are now in the process of building, have been for 2000 years now. So <clears throat> the office of apostle was closed. Um, but then that leads to profit, um, which is, it, it's a complex idea because, in the Old Testament, uh, there seemed to be a lot of prophets, and and for some, I, I never understood like how they were identified. Like people would just be walking, um, at least that's the way the scriptures make it sound like, and they'd be like, "Oh, there's a prophet." How do they know? Like, how did they recognize these people? You know, um, but the prophets were they received a direct message from God to then give to people. They were. Um, essentially spokespeople for God, or better yet, they were um, megaphones, microphones, speakers for God. Um, they spoke exactly what God's spirit moved through them to speak. And in the New Testament time, uh, there were still prophets, because like that, that one guy that prophesied that Paul would be arrested and brought to Rome, or you read about the... Um, the guy who had two daughters that were prophetesses, pro, prof, how do you say that word? Women prophets, prophetesses, prophet, I don't know. But the idea that there's modern prophets, like you see them especially in the charismatic circles, um, I think that's nonsense. I, I, I personally think the role, the office has been closed, that prophets are no longer needed. And, and here's why. If somebody stood up in the church and said, I have a word from God, they're essentially saying this is a direct revelation from God. This is, these are God's words, not mine, which means that they're saying this is authoritative, this is, this is binding, this is the actual infallible word of God. And if that's the case, then couldn't we just add those words to the Bible? Like if they're really speaking the true words of God, then shouldn't it be added to the scriptures? But the scriptures are closed. We have the totality of scriptures. Uh, God has told us nothing's to be added to it, nothing's to be taken away, and that's how we can stand firm in faith, knowing that we have the totality. If we don't have the totality, then there's no telling. We, we're we're open to all sorts of speculation and and new new revelations, new ideas. The, the fact that we have a closed canon protects us um, from all that, that false ideology, all those false things. So there cannot so, so basically what I'm saying is the idea of prophets comes down to the ideas, are the scriptures complete or not? If the scriptures are complete, if we have the full revelation of God, the total revealed word of God, then nothing more is, is needed or um, will be given. If it's, if it's complete, it's complete. 
If it's done, it's done. We have the totality of it. We have all all the scriptures um, given for for our our faith and belief, and and everything we need is in the sixty six books of the the Protestant um, Bible in English and in the King James version. That that's the complete totality of God's word. If we agree on that, then there's then there can't be prophets because Again, they would be speaking authoritative word, which places it on the same level of authority as the scriptures. And so you might as well just write down what they say and add it to the scriptures. That that's if they're really speaking the word of God, if if a word of revelation is coming to them to give to the church, then you're putting it on par with scriptures. And so it might the canon would not be closed. And we would be continually adding to the scriptures every time a prophet spoke. So I disagree with that for that reason. Because the scriptures are closed, there cannot be prophets. That it's point blank period, end of story, simple. Um, now that doesn't mean that God does not minister in your personal life and influence you and guide you. Like the scriptures say, we have an unction from the spirit. And I take that to mean that we all have... We all have, everybody that's born again has the Spirit of Christ in them. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And he guides our decisions. He, he helps um, motivate us and spur us on and, and direct our thinking. And But that's all going to be in line with his revealed word. It's as we're going through life and, and the Spirit is guiding us and prompting us into things, he's doing so by his revealed word. He's, he's causing us to think about direct commands or principles and ideas that are laid out in scriptures that helped guide and, and instruct our lives. And um, so we do have that unction, that guidance from the Spirit. Whenever we come to a life decision, you don't need a prophet to tell you, oh, I see you packing up your bags and, and becoming a missionary in Peru. Um, that's... You know, right there, you're 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 given some sort of authoritative statement on par with scripture that that's not to be relied upon. Um, whereas, if we're the the difference is the the unction we have. If an opportunity to be a missionary in Peru comes along, we go to prayer and we think it through and we think, are there any biblical guidelines or principles that I should be applying here? And we think that through with the help of the Spirit as he brings to remembrance certain verses. And and then I believe that the Spirit will put desires, you know, God says that he will give us the desires of our hearts. So I believe that he will give you a desire to do that. He will put that on your heart. Um, and, the, and it's everyday things like, you know, should I take this job or not? We look at it and we think it through prayerfully and think, are there any biblical principles? Are there any immoral things that would prevent me from taking this? Are there any moral objectives that would persuade me to take this job? Um, and we think that through biblically. And if if, there, if our conscience is clear, if decision A and B are both moral and, and, and there's no immorality in it, there's nothing wrong with deciding job A or job B, um, then I believe that the desire of your heart is given to you by God. Whichever one you desire more, that's the spirit guiding you in that direction. 
And so that that's not prophecy. That's that's the unction of daily living, you know, and, and you can apply that. I used to apply that to everything. Like, you know, I would prayerfully consider what shirt to wear because I would I would think, Lord, you know all things. Perhaps if I wear a red shirt as I'm going out throughout my day, maybe that catches somebody's attention that is supposed to catch their attention and they come and have a conversation with me and through that the gospel is proclaimed. I don't know. God does. And so I would prayerfully consider, I would I would just, you know, pray and then go with the unction, go with what I felt the Spirit was leading me into, you know. And, and like, again, I say, I think that's done through desire. Whatever you desire more, when there's no moral issue at hand, um, you can trust. I, I think one pastor said it, um, basically, like, if you're living a righteous life, if you're walking righteously, then do what thou wilt. You know, do whatever you want, um, because that that it basically I'm doing a terrible job of paraphrasing that, but the essential idea is <clears throat> the Spirit guides us into all righteousness, and so as we prayerfully consider our decisions and our and our uh, behaviors and our um, and our paths in life, um, our desires will guide us. I think the Spirit will give us desires. When there is no moral issue at hand, when when there's a morally neutral decision to be made, I think the desire of your heart will guide you, and I think those are given by God. So I I believe that's how the unction guides us, how the Spirit guides us through the biblical principles and through the desires of our hearts. But prophecy, that that's going beyond. I think that that position, that office has closed because we have the full Word of God. When the full word of God was not available, then prophets were necessary. But now the full word of God is available. And so if a prophet, if somebody is going to prophesy over my life and the full word of God has already been given, the only thing they can do is repeat what's already in the scriptures, in which case it's it's redundant and unnecessary. And if they speak something that's not in the scriptures, well, then it has no power over me, no authority. It's not binding only the the scriptures alone are the binding thing over my life. So if a prophet comes to me and says, you must go to Africa, you know, you have no power. You know, who are you to say that? The scriptures are closed. The scriptures don't tell me to do that. You know, if God gives me a desire to do that and an opportunity presents itself, then I will consider that the will of God and that he has given me the unction and there's no immoral uh, behavior in it. So... You know, but a, a, to have a prophet say you must do, or a prophet comes along and says America is going to financially collapse. Uh, you're speaking your own heart there. That that's not. You can't say it because the scriptures don't speak on that. You've gone beyond the scriptures now. You're telling me you're you're making a proclamation saying it's the word of God. Well, then we can add it to the word of God. We can add it to the scriptures. And if it doesn't come to pass, well, then you're a false prophet. You know, that's all there is to it. You So you, you can say based on biblical principles, like I've studied out the end times and I think, you know, I think the mark of the beast is this. And I think that um, in order to get there, based on what I've been studying about geopolitical systems, I think that... Uh, things are going to go this way. I think there will probably be a financial collapse and then they're going to move us into a, a, a cashless society 
and eventually they'll require an implantable chip to buy or sell, and that's the mark. You're not prophesying there. You're taking uh, a biblical idea and fleshing it out with your thoughts, your opinions on it. I think a lot of people, they take those opinions, and I understand it because I, I used to do this. You, you get an opinion or a thought in your heart, and the heart is deceitful above all things, and it often mimics and imitates the voice of God. And so you think that your desires, your hearts, your thoughts, your opinions are coming from God. And, but if you speak it as the word of God, you're going beyond the scriptures. You know, we, we have to rely on scripture alone. That's our only safety net. Um, man, I just had another thought pop into my head about that, but um, it floated away. So, um, yeah, so there are no apostles because nobody was an eyewitness uh, to the to the ministry of Jesus Christ um, and the foundation of the church has already been laid. There are no modern prophets because the scriptures are closed, the canon is closed, and if any and if if a prophet really did exist, then they would be speaking authoritative word on the same level as the as the scriptures, and they would be adding to the scriptures, and that's forbidden. We have the totality of the scriptures. Um, as far as healing goes, <clears throat> is there a person walking around with the gift of healing where they can just lay hands on people and heal them? I don't know. I, you know, in some third world country, some unknown, who knows? Um, I do believe that as we pray and lay hands on people, God can heal. Um, we might not consider that, you know, because the secular world would look at that and say, oh, that person got lucky. You know, that was just good fortune on their behalf. But no, we know that if, if you're diagnosed with cancer and then the next time you go to the doctor, it's gone, that's a miraculous healing from God. He did, you know, and in the same way, if, if, if you, if God, if you're diagnosed with a disease and God leads you to a doctor that prescribes you medicine and that heals you, that is also a miraculous healing of God. It's just different means by which he chose to do it. So, and I believe, I believe in, in supernatural things. I believe that God gives dreams. You know, I personally, in my own personal life, have had several dreams that I, I fully believe came from God, um, that, that God gave me um, insights into my own life and, and, and provided certain revelations. And I've heard testimonies of, like, for instance, all sorts of Muslims coming to faith because they dream about Jesus. I'm not going to dismiss that just because I, I lean towards cessationism. I'm not going to say, oh, that couldn't be. Uh, I'm not going to put God in that box. Of course God can speak that way. All throughout the scriptures, he spoke through dreams. Who am I to say that he still doesn't? Uh, but he doesn't give authoritative instructions to the church or to the body uh, through prophecy anymore. We, we have the scripture. We have the prophecy, the full revelation. We have, we have it in the 66 books of the Bible. Um, and then the other miraculous gifts like tongues and stuff. Well, what's done in modern charismatic churches is not tongues. That's gibberish. Uh, tongues just means languages. Um, it's a miraculous gift to speak a foreign language just without learning it. You go to Mexico and uh, the spirit moves upon you and all of a sudden you're speaking Spanish fluently, proclaiming the gospel. Does that still happen? I don't know. I heard a testimony of a, a brother say it did. To, uh, it happened to him once. Um, who am I to doubt that? I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to put, again, I'm not going to put God in the box and say that he doesn't do that. Uh, but what I will say is that what goes on in the charismatic churches is, is not tongues. That's just some sort of gibberish, you know, that makes people feel good. Um, 
But anyways, I just wanted to share those thoughts. All right, so that's what I got for you guys this week. Um, As always, I truly appreciate you listening. I love you, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.